1722, in a house on Purchase Street in Boston in the colony of Massachusetts, Sam was born, the son of a prominent businessman and a deacon of the Old South Congregational Church. Sam was one of 12 children born to the couple of Samuel Sr. and his wife Mary. But in that time of high infant mortality rates, only young Sam and two of his siblings lived into adulthood. At the age of 14, young Sam entered Harvard College. Seven years later, he took his first job as a junior accountant for Thomas Cushing's Counting House in Boston. But Cushing soon let the young man go as he felt he was more preoccupied with politics than he was with business. And with that, Sam Sr. lent his son 1,000 pounds to start his own business pursuits. And that was a considerable amount of money at that time. Sam Jr. lent half of it to a friend who never repaid the loan, and the rest of it he just kind of pissed away. Now after that, Sam Sr. put the young Sam to work in the family's malting house, that is, turning barley into malted barley to be sold to the many local breweries that were in Boston at the time. We're not exactly sure what young Sam did at the malt house, but historians are certain that he wasn't handling any of the company's monies. In 1748, young Sam joined up with some of his politically motivated friends and started a newspaper, the Independent Advertiser. Inflamed by the British Navy and Army's practice of impressment of colonials into military service, Sam wrote essays for the paper, very critical of the British government's attitudes towards the colonies, and he drew heavily upon the theories of British political philosopher John Locke. That same year, Sam Sr. died, and he left his estate for young Sam to manage. Within a few months, now that he was a man of means, Sam married Elizabeth Checkley, the daughter of his pastor at the Old South Church. Sam and Elizabeth had seven children, of which only two survived to adulthood, and Elizabeth herself died giving birth to a stillborn son in 1757. Seven years later, Sam married another Elizabeth, Elizabeth Wells, and the couple remained married until death. But Sam was to father no further children. His political career began to take off. He was elected first to the political office clerk for the Boston Market in 1747. Nine years later, he was elected tax collector by the Boston Town Meeting, that is the equivalent to the city council or board of aldermen of the day, but Sam often neglected collecting the taxes of his neighbors and friends, of which, of course, made him quite popular with the voters, but it left him liable for a amassing debt. By 1765, he was 8,000 pounds in arrears. He was compelled by the town meeting to take those who he had let slide to court, but most of the debt was never recouped. Three years later, he paid a court settlement of 1,400 pounds, and the town meeting wrote off the remainder of the debt. Despite the embarrassment of this entire affair, his popularity in local politics did not dwindle. Over the next decade, following the French and Indian War, he was one of the leading voices in Massachusetts against British taxation policy, which relied heavily on tariffs and importation duties upon the colonies, the intent in part to recoup the cost from the French and Indian War in those colonies. Sam wrote the Boston Meeting House's official stance on taxes. 
For if our trade may be taxed, why not our lands? Why not the produce of our lands and everything we possess or make use of? This, we apprehend, annihilates our charter right to govern and tax ourselves. It strikes at our British privileges, which, as we have never forfeited them, we hold in common with our fellow subjects who are natives of Britain. If taxes are laid upon us in any shape without our having a legal representation where they are laid, are we not reduced from the character of free subjects to the miserable state of tributary slaves? Now, because of Massachusetts ornering us against British tax policy, the military occupied Boston in 1768, and it was at this point that Sam knew that possibility of reconciliation with Westminster would be nearly impossible. He was among those in attendance at the protests that led to the Boston Massacre, and in the aftermath, he publicly called for the British soldiers involved to be executed for murder, writing essays to that end. But of the eight soldiers arrested, six were acquitted and two were convicted of manslaughter, their sentences to have the letters M.S. branded onto the back of their hands. In 1773, Sam was one of the leaders in the Boston Tea Party, where tons of teas belonging to the British East India Company were dumped into Boston Harbor. Sam was elected to represent Massachusetts at the First Continental Congress and the Second Continental Congress in 1774 and 1775, respectively. And on July 4th of 1776, he voted to approve and sign the Declaration of Independence, creating the United States. In 1781, with the end of the Revolutionary War in sight, Sam retired from the Continental Congress and returned to Massachusetts, where he participated in politics for the rest of his life as a member of the state Senate and as the state's third lieutenant governor. Sam believed that political leaders, above all else, had to be virtuous without which liberty would be endangered. He was one of the leading advocates in bringing free public education for children in Massachusetts, both boys and girls, which was very controversial at the time. He was a charter member of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. He was hesitant in supporting the ratification of the U.S. Constitution, believing that it would subvert the independence of individual states. But at the Massachusetts State Convention, he voted in favor of ratification in 1788. He also ran for the U.S. Congress that year, but was defeated. He worked tirelessly for the Bill of Rights to be amended to the Constitution, and they were added in 1791. Sam was elected governor of Massachusetts in 1794, his final public office, and he retired from politics at the end of his term in 1797. During the U.S. presidential election of 1796, he supported Thomas Jefferson of Virginia, who ran against his own cousin, who was elected president. Sam died in 1803 and was interred with great honors at the Granary Burial Grounds in Boston, just a half mile from the house on Purchase Street, where he had been born. But before 1984, most Americans were unfamiliar with this founding father. But in that year, a guy from the Midwest created the Boston Beer Company. And the first beer he brewed, he named it after Sam, the maltster from Purchase Street. Samuel Adams, Boston Lager. This is episode 43.
Welcome to the Brews Traveler, exploring the craft beer scene across North America, one craft brewery at a time. And now here's your host, the man who gets more MPP, that's miles per pint, than anybody, Alan Tatman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Brews Traveler. In case you've forgotten, I am your host, Alan Tatman. Thank you for finding us out here in the podcasting universe. I'm coming to you from the bluff tops of Jefferson City in Missouri, above the brown deluge that is known as the Missouri River, which normally at this point, on its trace down to the Mississippi, is only about 900 feet wide. But today, Thursday, June 6th of 2019, the river is at full-on flood stage. It's a mile and a half wide, filling the entire valley from bluff to bluff with a channel depth at 33.4 feet cresting today. That's the fourth highest level in Jefferson City's history, only exceeded by the floods of 1993, 1951, and 1903. Uh, So right now, we are 11 and a half feet over flood stage. Main Street between the pub and the Capitol has water over it, as does McCarty Street, Dunklin Street, as well as Missouri Boulevard, and Broadway and Miller Street and Elm Street. So there are street closings all over the place downtown Jefferson City with only High Street and Highway 50 open for east to west traffic. And every day there's a bottleneck and people are losing their proverbial Shinola regarding getting around town right now. And over on the east side, cleanup from the tornado is still going on and some blocks over on East Capitol Avenue, High Street, East McCarty, up to Lafayette Street, even on down south to Ellis Boulevard, are still under a curfew from dusk to dawn while the cleanup continues as a lot of buildings are subject to looting and vandalism, and there's going to be a bunch of structures that have to be completely raised. Uh, It's just a mess here in Jeff City right now, I tell you. Yeah, we're dealing with a lot of Shinola here in the capital city. Uh, It's time to have a beer. Ah, yes. From uh, Dogfish Head, this is Syracuse Nera. It's oak aged. It's a uh, uh, it's a Russian Imperial Stout with Syrah grape must added and aged in oak cask, and it is delicious. And I uh, I bought a case of this when I was in uh, Delaware, and that was in December. And this is the last bottle. I have of it, and I thought I'd enjoy it with you guys listening today. Um, firstly, I owe you guys an explanation. I kind of took a four-week sabbatical here. Uh, I lost a good old friend, um, and, and you know, um, Joyce Carol Oates, the uh, famous American author, she once wrote that uh, when you turn 50, you realize that wrinkles are trivial, uh, Losing people that you love. That's the hard part about it. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something close to that. So, yeah, I lost an old buddy, um, uh, BJ Stivix. Uh, we had a tornado, which just devastated a lot of families here. We did, there was one fatality. There was one critically injured man. And he finally, uh, he passed away last week. And uh, we, our hearts go out to his family. And now we've got a flood. And next week, we're forecasting a swarm of locusts. So, I'm kidding about that. But anyway, I just needed a break for a while, guys. I just couldn't get motivated. And 
Plus, those of you who know me, that the spring of the year with the pollen, it just drives me... Oh, man, it's bad. Anyway, uh, so please accept my apology for not getting the show out in a timely manner. Uh, but I will say this. During that time, the batteries are recharged. I've done all of the research and most of the writing for my next four shows. And I will be back on the beam uh, from this point on. Well, at least until we get that swarm of locusts or maybe it's the deluge of frogs. I can't remember. Anyway, this week on the show, it's going to be a little different. First, we're going to talk about the big merger in the craft beer world that occurred earlier uh, in the month of May between Boston Beer Company and Dogfish Head Brewing. Um, and what impact that might have on the craft beer universe. I was hoping to have an interview for you guys with Kat Walensky. She's a beer journalist for VinePair.com, an online magazine. And we traded a few emails and messages back and forth. And we, uh, between her schedule and mine, we just couldn't find a time when both of us were available to do a phone interview. So what I'm going to tell you about this merger, I pulled almost verbatim from her reporting. So I want to give her credit for that. Hopefully we can get her back. Uh, we can, Well, not get her back. We can get her here on the show in the near future and hear about her musings regarding craft beer in the United States. And then I do have an interview for you. I did this interview back in December when I was out on the East Coast. And for some reason, I don't know why, I held it back. There was just something in my head that told me, hold on to this interview. There will come the right time to, to play it. And this episode is that time. I sat down and interviewed Brian Selders of Dogfish Head Brewing. He's a longtime friend of Dogfish Head's owner, Sam Calagione, and an experimental brewer and a brewery ambassador for Dogfish Head. And he and I shared a couple of pints at their Brewings and Eats restaurant in Rehoboth, Delaware, just a few miles from the big brewery in Milton. And I also stayed that night at their Dogfish Head Inn, just a few miles away. And I had a great evening back at the Brewings and Eats uh, bar and restaurant. And uh, I guess my reason for holding on to that interview now was so I could use it for this episode. And finally, I have a talk with our own freelance journalist, Mr. Tony Rehagen. And we talk about the merger, some other things, and then we talk we start out talking about Game of Thrones. Uh, this was recorded right after episode five, which was the second to last episode of Game of Thrones. So, nerd alert. Nah, nah. Uh, that's coming up. And that'll wrap up the end of the program. But first, let's talk about this merger. Now, this is not the biggest beer merger ever. It's a long way from that. But this might be the most significant merger in regards to the craft beer world. And I must mention again, the following was reported by Kat Walensky of VinePair.com. And I'm using her words, and I want to give her full credit. On May 9th, Boston Beer Company and Dogfish Head Craft Brewery announced that the two beer companies will merge. The deal is valued at approximately $300 million, according to a press release. Although announced as a merger, it's really a buyout. The companies will operate under Boston Beer, that's New York Stock Exchange, SAM, and will be led by Boston Beer CEO Dave Berwick. Dogfish Head co-founder Sam Calagione will join Boston Beer's board of directors in 2020. 
The entity will maintain its status as an independent craft brewery as per the Brewers Association definition. Dogfish Head is on pace to sell nearly 300,000 barrels in 2019, and Boston Beer shipped nearly 4.3 million barrels of product in 2018. The announcement also added, almost apologetically, that its combined offerings will still represent less than 2% of all of the beer sold in the United States. Nevertheless, the beer community was shocked when they heard this news. Sam and I have stood shoulder to shoulder in some of the defining efforts in craft brewing, including the creation of the Brewers Association, the craft beer definition, the craft brewer seal, and the creation of the Savor Food and Beer event, says Jim Cook, Boston Beer founder and chairman. He continued, I'm very happy that Sam will join the board of directors at Boston Beer. He is a tremendous friend, innovator, and brewer, and I could not be more excited to work together with him for many years to come. Calagione said, This merger better positions Dogfish Head and our co-workers to continue growing within the craft brewer definition for many years to come. He also added that he and his wife and co-founder, Mariah Calagione, will reinvest the proceeds of the deal back into the combined entity and that they intend to devote a percentage of the Boston beer stock to establishing a foundation and funding of various local charitable programs. Calagione continued, Here is an example of how two American indie craft breweries could collaborate, find a way to grow, and yet do it still within the indie craft community. Cook also noted this was important to both Sam and I that we remain independent American craft brewers. That's what we fought for for decades. Now we can set an example for other companies buying or merging with other brewers and being transparent to the consumer who makes the beer. Now, as I mentioned before, per current estimates, the combined brands are on pace to sell close to 5 million barrels of product this year. As such, the entity maintains its status as a craft brewery per the definition created by the Brewers Association, which Cook and Calagione helped establish. Boston Beer's 1,400 employees and Dogfish Head's 400 will merge into one entity. Both company logos will emblazon product labels. Production will remain relatively unchanged. Calagione compared the merger to an Amish quilt, sewing together each brand's strengths. Dogfish Head's Ales and Distilled Spirits, Boston Beer's Lagers, Ciders, and Hard Seltzers. It's a very natural fit, he said. The only change that consumers will see will be accessibility. We're hoping our beers are now going to be easier for you to find, Calagione said. Now, Miss Wilinski added in her report, Personally, I don't think Dogfish Head's beers are hard to find. After all, they're currently distributed in more than 40 states, but Boston Beer's backing will propel Dogfish Head from being the country's 13th largest craft brewer to part of the second largest. Now, Kat, I want to tell you something. Uh, you obviously have never spent a night in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Because <laughs> our hope here, this is my, my commentary now, not Kat Wilinski's. Our hope here at the pub in Jefferson City is that while we currently have no issues at all in getting Sam Adams products, uh, with Dogfish Head, uh, we're kind of handcuffed with supply issues. 
Uh, our distributors have to bring in a truckload of the product from Delaware at a time. And given logistical limitations and demand, oftentimes just as soon as we get our customers turned on to a dogfish brand, it runs out and we have to wait until the next shipment comes in. And that's, that's a Midwestern problem, especially a small market like Jefferson City. Uh, we have that problem with East and West Coast craft beers, and there's just not a whole lot to do it to do about it. But Boston Brewing, we get a lot of truckloads through the local distributor, and hopefully their uh, distribution points will be able to get us more Dogfish Head in a more timely uh, in a more timely uh, manner. And now back to Cat's report. Boston Beer benefits in the fact that Dogfish Head currently produces the most successful sour beer brand in the United States. That's Sequench Ale, which is one of my favorites. And its distillery brand's new sales grew 89% last year. Cook cites Dogfish Head's co-founders Sam and Mariah Calgione as its greatest resource. I wouldn't have done it if it were just buying the assets, Cook said. That had no interest to me. The fact that Sam and Mariah wanted to join forces and do things together that we couldn't do separately, that was the key reason for this transaction. That's why this merger was not a difficult decision for us, Calagione added. As the second largest shareholder of the company, Cook and his family, of course, hold the most stock, it's a massive leap of faith that we're making, Calagione said, but the leap felt exhilarating and not scary. Still, for the craft beer community, this is both literally, figuratively, a very big deal. It's like the opposite of your parents getting divorced. These are Kat Walensky's words. It's a coming together rather than a split, but no less disorientating in the moment. And the question is, do they still love me? Or as a longtime fan might wonder, will the beer I love stay the same? And according to Jim Cook... No beers will be harmed, and as Ms. Walensky said in her article, she believes that. She doesn't see any benefit to Boston Beer turning Dogfish Head into Samuel Adams. But, she says, she's interested to see how big this quilt can grow, and I have to say I agree with her. One final thing that Cat uh, wrote in this article was uh, what Jim Cook said. He said, uh, for 35 years, I've had a foolproof succession plan, and that was Jim Don't Die. Now, if anyone has the serum for craft beer survival, I suppose it's Jim Cook, and now he has his heir apparent for future leadership. And I say congrats to both brewers and the breweries. Now, if you would like to read more from Kat Walensky, check her out on vinepair.com. You can also follow her at Beer Affair on all social media. I follow her. She has some great articles. I re-tweet. I, re, uh, I, I reshare them a lot on Facebook. And if you're interested in beer and the beer industry in the United States, you should follow her too. She's a great reporter, and she's got her finger on the pulse of the brewing industry. So... That's the merger in a nutshell. And now we go back in time about six months. Yeah, a little more than that. And here's Brian Selders of Dogfish Head Brewing from back in December. This is your interview of the week. 
Well, I'm here with Brian Selders. He is the brewing ambassador for Dogfish Head here at their Brewings and Eats Brew Pub in Rehoboth. Rehoboth. Not, Rehoboth. Rehoboth Beach. Rehoboth. I was wondering how you said that. Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. We're how many, what, three blocks from the ocean? Three blocks. Yeah. It and, could, it could uh, be worse. Yeah. We're three <laughs> blocks from the ocean. And for a December day, it's absolutely gorgeous outside. It's about 45 degrees and the sun is shining and there's no wind. Couldn't pick a better day to be down here. And thanks, Brian, for taking some time out of your busy day. It's a Friday. You guys are doing a good, great business here. And thanks for taking some time to talk to us it's, about Dogfish Head. It's my pleasure. Thank you for coming. Now, I've known about Dogfish Head for a few years because I have a good friend that lives in Chicago, and I've drank the beers up there. But we just got them in Missouri like two years ago. Sounds and, about right. Right. And Sea Quench changed my life as far as summer's concerned. That is now my go-to beer Anytime uh, that I'm going out somewhere where I know it's going to be warm and hot, I take an ice-cold cooler of Sequench. And you, that beer was developed here, right? Correct. That beer was developed down here at our Rehoboth Beach Brewery. Um, initially, to be specifically an exclusive beer for our Chesapeake and Main restaurant. Um, which, which is your higher-end dining experience that you have here in Rehoboth. Correct. It's our high-end seafood-focused um, restaurant next door to our uh, original brew pub. And uh, it was really developed to uh, pair with oysters as well as lighter seafood fare. Right. And then it got popular, and uh, now it's our fastest-growing brand nationwide. Well, it's, it's a fantastic beer. Awesome. For Thank a low you. ABV beer, it's just chock full of flavor. It's got all the things yeah, you it's, need. Yeah, it does. And, I mean, it's crushable uh, yes. in the summertime when it's nice and hot. And oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you've ever been to the um, Mississippi or Missouri River Valleys in the summertime, but it gets very hot. I was actually at Boulevardia <laughs> this past year. Oh, yeah. It was only, Jesus, it was hot. I know. It always is. I went, we went, not this year, we went last year. Uh, yeah, Boulevardia, it's it's. Did they they did did they have the taste and taps inside? It was inside. This yeah, year. well they did at the time we went. Yeah, it was it was great. It was a wonderful festival. Um, I went for a morning run one morning while I was there down by the uh, the river. Right. And it was like seven in the morning, and it was already like 92, 98 percent humidity. It was rough. Welcome was to rough. summer in Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute, where are you from? I, I so. I was, uh, I'm from northeastern Pennsylvania. The town I grew up in was equidistant from both Wilkes-Barre and Scranton. Okay. You might know Scranton from uh, The Office. Right, um, right. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool references to the area that right. are specific to that. It's totally fun to watch that show. Anyway, that's where I grew up. I went to college in Philadelphia. What and, school? Um, I went to Tyler School of Art. And, okay. And uh, got a BFA in painting. Um, during. I love this. Okay. During that time... Um, I started homebrewing in my dorm. Right. In my sophomore year. In your dorm. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it starts, right? Yeah. And that um, that became a bit of an obsession for me, and uh, I entered the uh, professional world of brewing in 1999 at a brewery in Philadelphia, which is now long gone. Right. Um, my journey took me from Philadelphia out to Reading, Pennsylvania, back to Philadelphia, and then ultimately to uh, Dogfish Head in Delaware in 2002. 2002. Yes. And um, 
you left here for a while. And I went, did. And went out in Colorado. I went on a little bit of a walkabout to find myself. Right. Um, I opened up uh, in partnership with a pretty successful um, restaurant group who actually operates Jack's Fish House in Kansas City. Oh, is um, that right? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, we opened up a place called the Post Brewing Company where we yep. specialized in uh, drinkable, crushable, delicious, clean beers and fried chicken. Um, <laughs> so, so now that... Um, Where's their flagship uh, store? The flagship store is in Lafayette, Colorado, okay. which is about 11 miles east of Boulder. Yeah. Um, then there are locations in uh, Longmont, right. then Denver, right. uh, opened up on South Broadway. Uh, we took over an old brew pub in Boulder um, last year. And uh, there's a, another location opening up in a very high-profile spot. Nice. Um, in the future, I'm really. Uh, thank you. Thank we you have, so we much. Have, we have pints. Brian crafted this beer with his own hands. He, you are the only brewery worker at this facility. Correct. Well, I hear I'm about to drink your beer. Thanks, Brian. Cheers. 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 This is uh, Faithful Companion. Nice. It's a blonde ale. It's a four, what, four seven ABV? Uh, four two. Four two. It's got a lot of flavor. It's Excellent. not. It's um, yeah, it does. It's it's. This is a sessionable beer. This is a beer like you want to drink before you drive to your hotel and then Uber back to the uh, <laughs> and Uber back to the brew pub. Yeah. But it, this is delicious. Nice, thank well, you. So you. So you were out there and you must you must have made a good impression here before you left because they hired you back. Um, I left on very good terms. Right. Um, and I I stayed in communication with uh, with Sam and stuff. We would hang out when he'd yeah. be in town or I'd be in town. Our, our families kind of grew up together. Um, when we all when we moved down here to work, uh -huh. I mean, I was a twenty-something-year-old kid when I started, and Neo, in that time, started a family. When I right. when we moved down here, Sam's kids were, you know, one and like four or something. Right. So I mean, we all watched each other grow up together, yeah. which cool. was fun. And uh, you know, he, we've always remained friendly, and I remained friendly with a, a lot of old coworkers, right. and um, you know. The stars aligned, and there was a really amazing opportunity to bring my family back to the beach where we belong, and we jumped at it. The the Sam that uh, Brian's talking about here is Sam Calagione. He is the founder of Dogfish Head, and I've never met him. I hope someday that I do get a chance to meet him. He seems like just a fantastic He's good people. guy. Yeah. yeah, totally great. A liberal arts major. Right. Yeah, so, so I was as well. <laughs> and, you know... We, we, we find our path in this world. I've always said the liberal arts education, you get fine arts education, it teaches you how to adapt, right? So it gives you it gives you a toolbox that you can go out into the world and do other things. So very true. I, I, I think so. But now with the college situation it is, everybody, it's so expensive. You know, kids are expected when they're 18 years old to decide exactly what they want to do oh, for yeah. the rest of their lives. And that's just, that's ridiculous. It's impossible. But that's neither here nor there. But tell me something. What, what, when you first met Sam, what was the one thing that really, that, that really stood out to you? 
<laughs> Besides yeah. that, he's got a personality I that's mean, big that was, as it's as big as all. all. I was probably 1999, 2000. Mm-hmm. I thought, Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> crazy. <laughs> And uh, we became fast friends shortly thereafter. So, <laughs> so how long have you been here the second time around? Uh, I returned in May of 2017. Okay. Yeah. So you've just been back a little over a year and a half. But they brought you on to start this program here. Correct. So when this- I... When I came on, we were still brewing in the original brew pub location, uh-huh. and uh, I was here to shut it down and uh, be very, very involved in the design right. and construction of this new brewing location, brewing facility. So now some of you are wondering, we, we went over there, and, and, and Brian gave me a great tour of it, and uh, I'll have some audio clips from that. I, I filmed it, but if you go back and look on our on our Facebook page, you'll be able to go back and see that we tasted a number of beers straight out of the fermenter, and they were, you know, and that's not something that you normally get a that I normally get a, a chance to do. And thank you, it was really cool. Nice. I'm glad. Right. Yeah, you came at a good time because, you know, we're kind of at a pretty playful spot right now in our brewing right. cycle down right. here. You know, it's the off season, so right. we uh, so mess around a lot. How many barrel system have you got here? So we have a five barrel brew house five uh, barrel here. Brew house. We have four 10 barrel fermenters. Uh-huh. Um, one fermenter that, oh, thank you, Cerise. Oh, this is gonna be delicious. Our Thanks. food has arrived. Vittles, so much. vittles, vittles. Um, so anyway, we have a, another We have another smaller fermenter that's for making cask beers as well as distillery washes. Right. Um, and then for beer service, we have five 10-barrel serving tanks in a separate cooler. Okay. And how many barrels are over at the big brewery, brew house? Oh, jeez, a lot. It's like 200. There are two brew houses. Right. Uh, there's 100-barrel brew house and the 200-barrel brew house. And then 30-plus 600-barrel fermenters, a bunch of 300s, a bunch of 200s, and eight 1,200-barrel uh, fermenters. So... You kind of you do a lot of experimentation here. You you know you Sam's obviously given you pretty free reign to try things if you think it'll work, and then you know you 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 develop it here. And if it's if it's if it's something that they think they'll send it over to R and D at the big spot, right? Right. So our R and D process is uh, pretty pretty wide open. Right. It's nice that we have two R and D breweries. Um, just because ideas come from everywhere, and right. it's with with two facilities, we're able to be a little bit more flexible in what ideas we try. Right. And um, yeah, I mean, I always invite coworkers to uh, to bring me ideas either via email, via text, or if they run into me in the hallway, just tell me your idea, and we will discuss it. And if it makes sense, we're going to do it. So I mean, ideas just. Right. It's free flowing. We keep this open conversation about flavor and goodness. Well, I imagine you being an artist by nature. I mean, that's really important to you that you're able to experiment and try things and mix and match and do things like that. Yes, I do get to experiment. So, what? Tell me, what's the best thing about being? We we've got deer, uh, dill pickle spears, deep fried and pretzel bites, and we're both hungry. So we're going to wrap this up. What's the best thing for you about working for Dogfish Head? Um, 
I've known Dogfish Head in a lot of different ways. You know, I started here when we were making 7,000 barrels a year in the little fun brewery with open top fermenters and right. uh, have been part of the growth, have watched some of the growth uh, from outside, both in volume as well as the growth of the culture. And um, it's such a wonderfully supportive place to uh, do what I do, you know, and it's just a great place to come to work every day. There's never a day where I'm pissed about opening up the door to my uh, my office. That's that's fantastic, and that's all we can really want. Yeah. Right. And I go home happy every day. Right. Well, Brian, thank you so much. Absolutely. Cheers, Cheers. and uh, and uh, thanks so much. Thanks for coming. All right, that's it. Thanks again to Brian and all the great staff and crew at Dogfish Head Brewing. I tell you, the hospitality at the brewery in Milton, at the restaurant in Rehoboth, and the Dogfish Head Inn, it's, it was just phenomenal. If you ever want to do a destination brewery trip to a place that has everything that you're looking for in a brewery, I think Dogfish Head might be your answer. You can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Dogfish Head Beer. Or if you want to find out everything there is to know about Dogfish Head, you can go over to their website, dogfish.com. Hey, ha, da 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 ya, ha, hey! Cardi on scale buckle. What's the rumpus? Now it's time for What's the Rumpus with Tony. What's going on in the world of craft brewing? Freelance journalist Tony Rehagen, how are you, Tony? Doing well, Alan. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Uh, let's just jump right into this. We've got a lot of things to unpack here. First, uh, the news, big news from last week. What the hell's going on on Game of Thrones? Oh, man. I just... Okay. I, I, I guess we should preface this before we go any further. If you haven't watched episode <laughs> five of season eight, then you're going to need to fast forward about seven minutes and 45 seconds so yeah um yeah uh because we're going to talk about this and why i know i know a lot of you are saying this has nothing to do with beer no you're right has nothing to do with beer but it's something that both tony and i are into and i want to talk to him about it now uh and i know a lot of our listeners are into game of thrones so anyway i was not surprised no i wasn't surprised uh, right now that that she turned heel but like it seems like they really crammed this in they, at the last minute. Okay, I will agree with you. They did push it. But if you couldn't tell by, you know, by episode five, and I don't know. I mean, I think they kind of foreshadowed it all along because she kept saying, I'm not going to be the queen of blood and ashes and i am not going and then but then she'd say stuff like well if i have to take it by fire i will do so and i think she just snapped after masande got lost her you know she was executed i think that was the final straw she also lost she lost two of her babies she lost two of her dragons i mean she's true yeah no she was monkey love and perturbed and cersei had every opportunity to surrender and she didn't and i think she just oh, but, but they did they, they rang the bell that was the thing and, and that's that's the thing where it's coming from like they, they have totally shown that there were little glimpses of her being vindictive and overstepping her bounds when, right. when she had when she when she burnt the tarleys right. Right. uh 
But the thing is, they've shown more examples of her having compassion for the regular people. And that's right. what I don't get. And I think they could have accomplished the exact same thing yeah, she by did. having her just ignoring the bells, going after the Red Keep, yep. destroying all that, taking care of Cersei, right. and going too far there, and not just laying waste street by street but you know, to, to regular people. Right. But, you know, when people... When people snap, I mean, this has been seen throughout history. I here's why I don't think that the destruction of King's Landing was against the the Lannisters. I think it was to show everybody else in Westeros, if you piss me off, this is what's going to happen. Because yeah, you know, they talk about ruling by fear. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, because she has been since they got to Westeros last year. She has been worried that you know the Westerosi people are not going to accept her. Uh, she knew that Sansa and the North they aren't accepting her. We haven't really seen how Dorne feels about her, or I don't even know who's ruling the Riverlands anymore. Um, no, they were going to give it to Bronn. Remember, they offered. Uh, well, no, no, they, no. The land, Tyrion and Jamie offered him. Yeah, they did offer it to Bronn, but then they upped the ante and said, "We'll give you, we'll give you High Garden," which is right, right. But I don't even know. I mean, and who's in the Vale? I mean, Robin, Aaron. Uh, you know, he's yeah, he, yeah. But well, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm more in even the Danny the heel the turn wasn't my worst problem with this season so far. This season, I loved this this episode right before the long night where they were all just kind of sitting around waiting for battle. I thought that was great. That was a good season. I thought episodes one and, and the long two night was cool. Episodes one and two could. Well, I've got a problem with the long. I've got a problem with the Battle of Winterfell. Um, they should have hired somebody that knew something about medieval battle strategy. They should have done it for that, and they should have done it for the siege of King's Landing. And that's the history. This is historian, the guy that studied military history. That's my thing. I thought this is stupid. And then there's been a lot of people online that have thought the same thing. How they had the whole thing, defense, and how you don't send your cavalry into a headlong charge into unless you're trying to break a line. That uh, it, it was and. That why you don't have your siege or your uh, your weapons like the the trebuchets and the catapults. You don't have you have them inside the castle. Uh, it's it was it could have been done better for somebody with my you know with my sensibilities. But yeah. that's that's my problem. Um, that's not, I guess that's not how they fought zombies back in the medieval. I guess time. not. <laughs> I guess not. Right. Right. Uh, but but no, I. Yeah. The other characters, like Tyrion, like where he's gone, the cleverest man in the world. When was the last time he was right about anything? He's no. done nothing but football up the last two years. Like it's insane. Like, well, and Jamie, they spent all these years yeah. trying to reform his character, and then all of a sudden he just goes back. That I thought was kind of sloppy and weak writing. I know they wanted the you know the, to reunite them, but I kind of thought that he was going to go back and end up killing her. But nah. Yeah. yeah. No, and then and Brienne, I mean, yeah, turning her into a sobbing woman in her bathrobe begging right. for her man to no. stay. That's not her. She's That's tough. not She's her. A... Right. You're yeah. right. I mean, some of the but I was not surprised about Danny losing her going all full-scale Targaryen. I I'm, doesn't surprise me at all. And uh I I can't wait till next week's episode's over so I can start reading the books. 
So yeah. I've never read the books because, you know, our friend Chris Holloway, you know, the first three seasons, all he did was complained about how the show <laughs> wasn't as good as the book. And I said, well, I'm not going to read the books until because I love the show. But yeah. uh, I've read the first I've read the first three and they're, they're pretty good and they, they follow along pretty closely. Right. They, you got to get a nitpick a little bit. Right. Right. And who's going to be the king? Who's going to sit on oh. the throne throne? Next yeah, week, that, next week, oh, it's next it. Week. Oh, I see what you're saying. That's, yeah, that's it. Know. Yep. I uh, I think it's going to be Bran. And yeah, uh, he's got something left to do for sure. And, and I I think I you know, and the the prince that is promised. I like I said, I haven't read the books, but the prince has promised. He finally is fulfilled to his full. Um, what do I want to say? Salvation or messianic uh, message, according to the prophecy, because he uh, plunges his sword into the heart of his lover, and that mm. may, yeah, and then so I don't know. I mean, I think John might kill Danny. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they're doing. I'll tell you the one sure. thing that I laughed about. I laughed about because there was all these conspiracy theories about how the gold company was going to switch sides and leave Cersei because she owed money to the Iron Bank. I was watching all this sugar pie honey bun on YouTube last week. And, uh, yeah, and Dragon took him out and like... The first, yeah. yeah, the first 20 seconds of the battle. All right, gold company's done. We got that off of the page. Now, get, totally. now let's get all the ballistas and the scorpions shot down and we'll, we'll, we'll take care. But yeah, you're, you know, I think she just, she just lost her, she lost her stuff. And that yeah. didn't, that didn't surprise me. She's like, okay, look, you guys ever cross me again? This isn't so much about King's Landing. It's about the rest of Westeros. You guys cross me again and I'm going to blow you all away so i i'm i'm looking forward to next week me too me too okay now the other big news from last week right the merger yep well, well that, and that's the thing like they they called it a merger sam adams but sam adams bought dr shed i mean you can call it a merger but right. one of the second largest well that brewery. not yeah not only did sam adams buy the brewery they bought a new leader right uh, yeah, they bought a new leader and, uh, Sam Calagione will eventually become, uh, he'll become the, the head of, uh, Boston Brewing Company, Boston Beer Company and Dogfish Head. And he'll be a, I think he'll be a good man at the helm. Sure. No, he's grown, he's grown his company very big. No, and it's, it's, it's a big thing that's sending a lot of, a lot of shockwaves through the industry. And basically, the big thing right now is it has it's having some repercussions about it's kind of having people navel gazing and like not navel gazing, but looking in the mirror at kind of what exactly is a craft brewer. Um, right. And, and by by definition, it's we say this all the time. It makes less than six million barrels a year, um, and is less than twenty five percent controlled by big beverage. Um, but this is close now because now Dogfish had uh, is, I think two two sixty two thousand two hundred sixty two thousand three hundred almost three hundred thousand yeah right and Sam Adams is four point three million so the question is I mean did you know is is Sam Adams actually big beverage in disguise or did Dogfish had forfeit you know its craft cred and sell out but before we answer that question um, you got to take kind of a step back and look at kind of what this really means big picture and I think. It's pretty illustrative of a strange place that a lot of longtime craft brewers have found themselves in these days. 
um, you know, for decades now, they've grown and watched the craft beer craze explode around them. And, you know, for what seemed like forever, there's been plenty of profit to go around. Like we keep talking about like when's the saturation, every new brewery that opens up and it just hasn't hit. Well, now it's just starting to hit a little bit. Like, like the Brewers Association said that, you know, last year craft beer grew, but only by 3.9%. And it captured just 13.2% of the total beer market. Um, and an article I read in Forbes pointed out that, you know, at one time craft was supposed to be at like 20% of the total market by 2020. And that's just not going to happen. No. And part of that, a part of that has been, and we, we hit on this all the time, fewer drinkers, fewer beer drinkers. But another big part was, we talked about this too. The big boys like AB InBev, Molson Coors, Constellation, Heineken, they gobble up those other other companies. Right. Um, you know, every every time a Goose Island or a Ballast Point, some big craft brewers get bought up, that craft market as a whole takes a hit. Right. And so, like, and who can blame the brewers? I mean, really, I mean, this, no, you can't. Been around- I mean, here you are. You're a guy. You've worked. I mean, you, you've worked hard. You've built a brewery up, and somebody comes and offers you enough money that your family's not going to have to worry any about anything for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. Well, I that's mean, the thing to remember. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, you do it. I do it. Why wouldn't you do yeah. it? I mean, the it's business, and I think we as craft beer drinkers, we get. We get so attached to this. Oh, they're no longer independent. You know, I, I, I know, yeah. I understand. But, you know, can you blame the Line and Kugel family? No. Can you blame John McDonald at Boulevard for selling out to Duvel? No. You can't. These guys, they're looking after themselves. They're, yeah. You know, well, and their families. About- yeah. Right. It's not, it's not just about money. That's, that's exactly the thing. The craft beer revolution has been around for, you know, 20 years now. People change. These brewers are 20 years older. Right. Now they have families. Right. Now they have college age kids. Now right. they they're looking for retirement. Some of you them know? have like, grandkids. I mean, you exactly. Know. You get it. You get into the business. You, you you know you open a brewery with your friends when you're 22. When you're 42, that your priorities are not going to be the same. You know, right. it's just. I think maybe the Brewers Association needs to rethink, and and we as craft beer drinkers, we need to rethink what is craft beer. Yeah. I well, mean, and, and see. That's that's what's happened here, and that's really what this points at is that both Sam Adams and Dogfish Head, but mostly Sam Adams more so just because it's so big, they've kind of been stuck in that weird place where they really can't grow much more right. in the craft beer space. Right. They're not the juggernauts. They're not big, big beverage, right. but they're big enough that a lot of craft beer drinkers overlook them, just like the Sierra Nevadas and, I mean, the Yinglings. Right. They, they overlook them and try to go for the newest stuff. It's always about the latest buzz, the latest new right. stuff. And that's not Sam Adams, and that's not even Dogfish Head anymore. I mean, there was a time when they were the revolutionary thing on, and so you're stuck in that little part. Um, and at least through this deal, they're not selling the big beverage; they're combining their forces. And you can see, especially you know, like you mentioned with Sam Adams, they're getting kind of new leadership and a kind of fresh blood. I, I Dogfish Head yeah, expands yeah. their reach. I mean, right? This expands, that, well, it's going to it's going to be a good thing for us here in uh, here in Jefferson City because. Um, both of those accounts are go through Fectal Beverage, who's we get, you know, we get ninety five percent of our craft beer through them, right? And yeah. uh, so it, both of them go through. But now I can't always get the Dogfish brands that I want because they have to buy a container at a time, you know, a truck at a time. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas they're bringing in lots of Sam Adams. It's got it's very popular in the in the uh, in the region. And Fechtel's bringing in you know two trucks if not more. I don't know. I'm making sh- stuff up here. Um, they're bringing in they're bringing in plenty of trucks with Sam Adams product, but they're bringing only one truck of dogfish a month. And so we're you know we and, and as dogfish becomes more and more popular with the craft beer bars around here and in the stores, there is a shortage of us being able to have it. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that's going to be a good thing for us down at Patty Malone's of which I'm no longer an owner. I'm only a consultant. Let's, uh, I want the Missouri, uh, division of alcohol to, to uh, know that. Um, yeah, but the other <laughs> thing is and people forget this too, but especially, you know, and you can say what you will about these. I don't blame the Lining Kugel family. I don't blame any of these other people, but when you're just looking at this story, Boston Brewing Company and Dogfish Head have both like both of those companies and their leaders have been huge patron saints to the craft beer industry absolutely jim cook jim cook has done more good for craft brewing than any other single person maybe uh, only to be equaled by charlie papazian um Mm -hmm. i mean you know he has done so much for the craft beer community industry market awareness he has really been out there and i think that was what really is the motivation here because sam calagione is a guy like him he's kind of he's kind of i don't know if you've ever seen any of his stuff on youtube his interviews but he's high energy he's kind of he's kind of geeky and i mean that in a good way he's really beer geek he's really passionate about it same way that jim cook is and i think that that was what this is really about was getting a leader that's going to be able to take over when Jim Cook wants to retire. Yeah, I can see that. And, and if so, I, I think people will be in good hands. And like you said, um, they, they have nothing but responsible with their product. And that's, right. that's going to be the bottom line. We right. say that every every year. It's, it's the quality. Like, right. I'll worry when I open my sequench and it doesn't taste right. And I just had one a little bit ago. I came off the Katie and I, I slammed one. Man, it's such a, oh, yeah. it's such a good beer. Boy, yeah, it is. You know, it is such a good beer. And I tell you what I've been drinking a little bit around here. Uh, if you guys out there haven't tried it, speaking of Boston Beer Company, uh, their Sam Adams New England IPA is pretty damn yes, good. Yes, I had that the other day. It's pretty it. good. It's, uh, I mean, I'll put it right up there with Chug Suckle. It's pretty mm-hmm. good. Yeah. And well, they're uh, from New England. They should, they should have the style They down, should. Right? You know, Pete Coors wrote uh, an op-ed I forget. I think it was in the Rocky Mountain News. I don't know. I, I I read it. This has been quite a while ago, maybe over a year ago. So they were criticizing the big guys uh, about being the big guys. And Pete Coors, you know, he wrote an op-ed. He goes, you know, when my great-great-grandfather, whoever it was, started Adolph Coors Brewing, you know, he was a craft brewer. I mean, it's if you're successful, you're going to grow. Yeah. And... And what uh, one other thing about a lot of the a lot of these guys, you know, A. B. Miller, Coors, there was uh, after Prohibition, there was a vacuum, and they filled it, and they filled it better Absolutely. than anybody else, you know. And now I think what's going to happen with craft beer? Now I'm just procrast. I'm procrast. I'm prognosticating here. I don't. I just think this is going to happen. There's going to be another collapse. There's going to be a lot of breweries closing. A lot of them that are struggling financially, they're going to be they're going to be closing here over the next 5 years. 
And I don't know if we're going to continue to have the growth in openings that we are with the ones that are closing to keep up. I think there's going to be a, a regression in the number of breweries. And who's going to fill in? Who's going to step in and cover that? It's going to be guys like Boulevard. It's going to be guys like yeah. Sierra Nevada. It's going to be guys like Amangong. It's going to be guys like Boston Beer Company and dog yeah, slash no, Dogfish. They're going to be the ones that are going to come in there and fill that. Hopefully. You well, know. you get some consolidation too. Yeah. You know. Which could be a good thing. I mean, things need to be shaken up. Things need to be pushed. And absolutely. And I mean, I will never, ever, somebody that grew up in Missouri and drinks in Missouri, I will never say a bad word about Anheuser-Busch. Oh, I will. They, they, I will. Yeah, I know you will. I will. But they, they, they're the we, we're, they're the reason it's so easy to, to, to drink. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and you know what, I've got, I've got, I've got admiration for them in many, many ways, but I've seen some, I have firsthand seen some of the, well, maybe this isn't the brewery so much, maybe as the, the distributors, I've seen some of the underhanded stuff they've done and they've, uh, you know, like I was told, you'll never make it in this town selling all those funny beers. Times and, do change. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and 19 years later, they wonder why they don't have a tap handle. All right. <laughs> Anything else, Tony Rehagen? Nope, that's all I got for now. All right, man. Hey, it was good talking with you. Uh, you as well. I look forward to hearing uh, what you have to say. We won't bore you next week with the wrap-up on the Game <laughs> of Thrones. Uh, but, again, thank you again. Freelance journalist Tony Rehagen. Thanks, Take man. Down. Over and out. Take care. All right, you too. You've been listening to The Brews Traveler. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our website, thebrewstraveler.com. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Thanks for listening. And please follow us over on Facebook and Instagram at The Brews Traveler Podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas like my friend Patrick Turner did, Please let me know. Send me a message on Facebook or Instagram, or if you'd rather send me an email. Uh, and if you're within the sound of my voice and you're in Jefferson City, stop by the pub. And if you haven't already, please go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a glowing review because of the algorithm and the analytics that would help us to build our audience. And it would mean so much to us. The soundtrack for The Bruise Traveler is so graciously provided by our friends, Gaelic Storm. And they're coming to Jefferson City. If I haven't told you once, I'm telling you now. August 29th, tickets are available online over at pattymalonespub.com. Set your calendars Thursday, August 29th. It's going to be a wonderful, fun time. Marketing consultation provided by Mission Digital Marketing. So, until next time, if I don't see you at the pub or at a tap room, I'll see you right here on the podcast. Drink locally, think globally, take care of each other, and take care of the earth. It's everything we've got. Merrily, as always, you are the measure of my dreams. Thanks again for listening, and so long for just a while. Tough life.
life are full of toil and strife we whaler men undergo and we don't give a damn when the rain has stopped how hard the wind does blow we're homeward bound from the arctic ground on a good ship torn and free and we don't give a damn when we drink our rum with the girls and all my way once more we sail with the northerly gale through the ice and sleet and rain and the coconut fronds in the tropical lands we soon shall see again Six hellish months we've passed away in the cold Kamchatka Sea And now we're bound from the Arctic ground Rolling down to Old Maui Rolling down to Old Maui My boys rolling down to Old Maui We're overbound from the Arctic ground Rolling down to Old Maui We'll heave the lead where old Diamond Head Looms upon Oahu And our mast and yards are sheeted with ice The deck is hid from view the horrid toil of the sea cut ice all the decks a raging sea A miles behind and from the frozen wine since we sailed to Old Maui Rolling down to Old Maui The boys rolling down to Old Maui We're home around from the Arctic ground Rolling down to Old Maui How soft the breeze of the tropic seas Though the ice is far astern and the native maids in the foreign glaze are awaiting her return. Even now the big black eyes look out, hoping some fine day to see. A baggy sail running for the gale as we sail to Old Maui. And now we've anchored in the bay with Kanakas all around. With chance and soft aloha, the greed is homeward bound. And now we're sure we'll have big fun, we'll paint them features red. We'll awake in the arms of a wahine with the big fat taking head Rolling down to Old Maui, my boys, rolling down to Old Maui We're home bound from the Arctic ground, rolling down to Old Maui Rolling down to Old Maui, my boys, rolling down to Old Maui We're home bound from the Arctic ground, rolling down to Old Maui Nothing is more essential to the establishment of manners in a state than that all persons employed in places of power and trust must be men of unexceptionable characters. Samuel Adams, American statesman, political philosopher, founding father. Born September 27, 1722, Boston, Massachusetts Bay Colony, died October 2, 1803, Cambridge, 
Massachusetts, the United States of America.